Welcome back to another episode of Lead with Data with myself, Rena Gami. The guest on the show today is Cameron Tout. Cameron is the um, founder and director of a boutique data consultancy called TIO. I hope I've pronounced that correctly. Um, his um, career track record is really, really impressive. He's held a number of leadership roles with some well-known organizations like GE, AGL and Australia Post, where he's been instrumental in helping to develop their capabilities um, around data management, risk management, um, and governance uh, within these organizations. Now, uh, when I approached uh, Cameron about coming on the show, um, you know, he mentioned he, you know, he, he just sent me a simple line and said, look, I'd like to talk about what the data industry can learn from um, operating, from zoos operating. Um, and initially I thought, hmm, that's interesting. Um, and then when we had talked uh, further about what he was going to cover, um, essentially the reason why he chose this topic was to enable um, all listeners, um, people within data, but also uh, non-data as well, to kind of understand the essence and the importance of why it is really important to um, create a balance between the relationships um, within the, the organization and the, the functions as well. Um, one of the things we talk about is um, how there's quite a big gap uh, when it comes to the vision and the reality um, of data management. Um, and um, he really puts it into context and, and makes it really easy to understand by using the analogy of how zoos operate and why they operate so successfully and what we can learn from that. So look, I really enjoyed the episode and I hope you do too. And I look forward to introducing you to Cameron. Thank you so much, um, Cameron, for joining us today. Um, I'm really excited, actually. I know when we discussed um, the topic, um, you know, you were quite keen to talk about something that was quite relatable. Um, so, um, you know, for our listeners, I guess um, if you could give us a bit of an intro and a background in terms of your career to date, um, that would be great. Oh, thank you, Rena. Yeah, no, a pleasure to join you on the podcast. Um, yes, my career to date will... Um... I started my uh, data and analytics career back uh, oh, 20 plus years ago in the late 90s. So by that, you can probably determine my age. Um, <laughs> yeah, but um, yeah, data and analytics, it wasn't um, as sexy as it was back, back then. You were writing a lot of code. You didn't have the sort of software and technology now. Um, so it was a real sort of, um, you know, get in and program, you know, really you had programming skills back then. And so I evolved in different positions, um, you know, with, with flybys, um, Experian, et cetera. Um, and then at GE, I sort of made the crossover from analytics um, into data management, data governance. Yeah. And, and from there, um, really sort of explored that thread further and, and you know, landed at Australia Post, um, got involved in, in setting up a, a customer and data use policy, um, building up a, a, what I call a coalition of the willing with data governance and stewardship, um, and, and, and also building uh, customer data models to be used in CRMs and across the business. And then, um, and then at AGL um, uh, in the last two years, um, yeah, walked in there and was given a, a McKinsey recommendation of um, that, their, by their assessment, AGL was in the bottom 25% of global organisations with their data management practices. Oh, wow. And uh, I had an uplift target on the head. So, uh, yeah, fortunately, um, 18 months later, I got uh, AGL in a position where they graded in the top 40% of global oh, businesses right. with their practices. So that was um, that was great to draw on those sort of prior experiences and get to that point. And so that's where my, 
career has been to date. Excellent. And I noticed, obviously, um, that you've worked in different parts of data. And I think that's why, you know, I think your, your sort of background is particularly interesting. Um, and more recently, I think you were sort of a bit more on the governance side as well. Um, I guess, you know, if I were to ask you, and everyone has these moments in their career, what would be a couple of the things that you feel have shaped who you are from a career point of view, whether they were life experiences or something at work or somebody that you worked with? Yeah, there's probably um, two that come to mind, Rena. Um, one was back in 2011 when um, our, our sort of um, GE, they had sort of American titles, so our vice president of yeah. sort of the data, you know, management and analytics division, um, Phil Wickenden, he, um, he, he gave, gave me a project and assignment, which was a bit different from what I'd been used to in my analytics career, and that was actually um, building out um, data models for our CRM so they could manage um, privacy. So the Australian privacy principles were coming along. Um, it, we could actually uh, develop uh, triggers for communications. So to, to send out, you know, um, through digital commu you know, communication such as email, SMS. And back then that was, uh, you know, uh, fairly new in, in yeah. the market to be able to do that. And um, through, through his... Um, sort of uh, vision and his lessons he passed on to me, he actually taught me the ropes around governance, data modeling, and how you can take, um, take something and apply it across products, across countries, and building all of these different controls. And that was a, a great sort of catalyst for my career going into, you know, the data management, data governance field. Sure. Um, so that was 2011. And then 2016 um, at Australia Post, um, I actually learned from someone who um, was really, good, really sharp, did the speaker circuit, really good at storytelling. Yeah. And I would go in and at work and go to meetings and, and he'd look at me blankly and say, Cam, no one knows what you're talking about. And he um, really encouraged me to learn the art of storytelling and um, so I explored a few books. I think Dan Rome is a really good author in, in yes. his field. And even he even got me going back and reading children's books to learn how to pitch things and make things relatable. So, the, you know, the topic I'm bringing up today about the zoo is something we can all relate to. We've, you know, most of us have been to a zoo at some point in our yeah. life, particularly in our childhood. So, again, it's that having that common, something in common to um, look at, explore, build a common understanding around and, and, and applying it to something a little bit more abstract, which is data. And I've, I've found that quite a useful tool to help me in the latter, in the most recent parts of my uh, career. Excellent. Um, and look, I'm, I'm really glad you um, touched on the storytelling because I think that's become such a big part of, um, you know, how you sort of interact with the individuals in the business and, and how you can get people on board and how you engage people because, you know as much as everyone likes to say that they're telling a story I think I think you're right there is a bit of a craft and a bit of an art to how you do that um and to engage people if, especially if they're not data professionals because that's yeah. that's predominantly your stakeholders that you're trying to work with and collaborate with so um yeah I might sort of pick your brains a little bit later on that as we as we get into the discussion um and, and look you know one of the things obviously working with data professionals um, I found is that most organizations have a concept and an idea of how data can be used um, and the various things it can be used for. But on many occasions, it's not utilized adequately. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Um, 
again, this has been a bit of a common thread, particularly the last 10 years, um, you know, the, the, the sort of vision to be data-driven or to, you know, to have a strategic goal of being the most innovative digital transformational company in, in whatever field yeah. that is. Um, and, and then, a, you know, a, a bit of a nod to saying, hey, and data is part of that sort of pillar or that strategic pillar. And yet, you know, when I talk to my peers and, and you know, um, and even my first-hand experience, you are, you are scrapping. You are, you're scrapping for people. You're scrapping for money. Um, you have, uh, your processes are, aren't as mature as, say, a financial process in a business. Yeah. And you, you, you sort of left a bit bewildered. You're going, how, how is this, how is, how, how does the, the posturing and the promise that's going out there and even in, 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 job ads you sort of see the the overview of the of the company and you hear all these great things and you're wooed by that but the reality is especially in if, if you're not in sort of the the front end aspects of data which is your your um your bi your machine learning your ai sort of the data science field yeah you, you're you're left really scrapping both for, for funding um for support for getting people to understand you know why it's important that you actually build solid data management and governance platforms so um and, and some recent research has come out um from neil burge who um i've got to know and he he works over in singapore for a company called cognopia yeah and, and did some research across the apac region and um i'll just refer to some stats here so yeah, his, his stat says um, only 9% of companies put a hard or soft valuation on data assets. And um, I used to have a joke at, uh, with some people, with some uh, some of the IT uh, leaders at Australia Post saying, and I used to point to a pot plant in the, in the office and I said, see that pot plant, that's more, worth more than the, all of the data we've got in the Google um, BigQuery engine at the moment. Yeah, wow. And, uh, and, the, and the knives and forks in the office and the fridge and all that sort of thing. So that there's... There's this, you know, there's this sort of concept of data being an intangible asset, but it's not really. Yeah. It's it's not accounted for anywhere. And so when you've got 9% of APAC companies, I think they've researched about 50. Yeah. Saying it's a hard or soft cost, then what's the what's the other 91%? Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, so the breakdown of that is, you know, 35% say it's just a sunk cost of doing business. Let's, let's, let's you know, manage it and minimise it. Yeah, it's just it's just what's collected as part of running. Yeah, off. yeah, it's just yeah, it's just the cost of doing business, and then and then there's been some attempts, um, especially of late, um, trying to sort of look at more use case type models. So let's look at a specific use of data and try and measure what the the contribution of data and all that is through that. But again, you're getting into fairly nuanced accounting practices doing that, and so you get a lot of arguments and debates about well, what's the right way of um, treating that and I, I know of a few people uh, even at my time at AGL who actually made a career out of that for, for the last two years trying to come up with acceptable um, value, valuation methods yeah. yeah 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 and it is I, I think um, I think it's quite scary uh, like you said you know when um, so little of that data that companies have got is being utilized because what what is happening or, or what's the value and what we're not using? It's uh, pretty scary. Yeah, it's it's sort of so you get. I guess what I'm observing and what this um, researcher said, you're getting this um, dissonance between what's being you know the posturing, 
that, that's going on in, in annual reports and, and you, know, in, you know, in even attracting talent into organisations. And then what once you get into the place, what mm. the, the reality is um, and, um, and, and the fact that it's, um, it can be um, quite, a, quite a difficult, confronting thing to face into. So, you know, you know we've mentioned storytelling before. Mm. That's why if you are a leader in this space, you can't get away with not being a good storyteller, being a yeah. really strong influencer, being relatable. Um, your technical skills aren't going to be enough to sell a vision and sell the importance of why you need these foundations yeah yeah and you know just on that as well and probably for our listeners if if you were going into an opportunity or an organization where that is the case how far do you go back into the data like where do you draw the line yeah. because yeah it's a, it's a good it's yeah one i've been thinking about Rima. i i think that, I think the best thing data professionals can do is actually read the company annual report. Yeah. And, and that's your starting point because in there are, are going to be things that your board and your executive team care about. And so you don't go in there and talk about data. You actually go in there and talk about those missions. Right, yeah. Um, you go, right, okay, well, um, one of your tier one risks might be customer privacy and it might be because you've started to trade in new companies countries or you're going into a new industry or there's a new regulation coming down the line um, instead of talking about data governance and sending it whatever everyone to sleep you actually talk about well what what dependencies do you have in the organization and the way you operate yeah. to ensure that you're really tight and match fit on this on this central purpose you have in the organization excellent excellent yeah. and that probably leads in quite nicely I think into the topic and um, I know we, we touched on it a little bit around what, what can we learn from zoos in relation to managing data. Um, so, yeah, I, I guess I'll let you um, I'll let you get in, get into that and sort of um, share with us how, how you feel that that would relate and, and make it easy for, for our listeners and, you know, people who are not in the data industry to understand as well. Yeah, thanks. Thanks. Uh... Um, yeah, this this I am a little bit of a lateral thinker at times, and um, yeah, I, I sort of um, push myself to look at things that are in our everyday experience and and see if there's any analogies we, that can be drawn on mm. to help um, either make breakthroughs in my own thinking around how think you know things could work better, yeah, or or even positioning something that you know to make it relatable and concrete. And let's face it, data can be a very dry abstract topic and you know it's not you don't, you don't certainly pack out uh you know uh pack out the auditoriums with uh, when you've got data presentations on well well it depends if you do it's usually you know people with data backgrounds yeah that's happy, right. happy that's to right. be there so <laughs> yeah and and if you think about zoos you know there, there's a lot of care that's required and uh, uh, there's a lot of maintenance and care that's required in zoos you think about Imagine going into a zoo and, and you, your first sort of um, interaction in there is, oh, just be careful walking past the lion, lion closure. Uh, a lion got out earlier today because we're just, you know, our, our gates are getting a bit old and, you know, we haven't quite secured it properly. So just maybe give that a miss. You, you, you'd probably turn home and go, go straight home in your car um, yeah. and go near it. Um, and, and the same thing, if you walked around and you saw all of these poor, sick, maltreated animals and, you know, sadly that does occur around the world. If you, if you go onto Google and, and, and talk about, you know, some of the 
you know, poor, you know, poorest unkept zoos in the world. It's really, it's terrible. Yeah. It's heartbreaking to actually see how the animals are treated and malnourished or, or mm. just on, on the verge of, um, yeah, on, on the verge of, you know, death. So it, it's, you certainly wouldn't be interested in, in supporting those sorts of zoos. In fact, no, absolutely. far from it, you'd actually probably um, lobby to have them shut down and the regulators yeah. to come down fairly heavily on that. So, and, and, and in some ways you sort of look at that and you go, okay, well, there's, there's some parallels there. Like, what does it take to run a zoo? Mm. Um, and I actually did a little bit of research in this because I was, I was a bit fascinated too. You sort of have the sections of the zoo and they rely, they, they remind me of sort of parts of the data estate. You know, like instead of having a, a finance section or finance data, you might have, you know, in a zoo, you might have reptiles. Yeah. That's not a deliberate sort of, uh, that just came into my head. That wasn't a yeah, deliberate sure. uh, link there. Finance and reptiles, you know, you <laughs> make it. <laughs> And then you have, you know, your, your carnivores and you have your butterflies and each, each of those areas require their own sort of specific um, environments, their, their own skills in terms of the, the, you know, the specialist skills in terms of veterinarians that can work in, in there. Even, even the day-to-day -day zookeepers, that the handling of those and, and um, feeding regimes and the health checks on those types of species, all very different. Um, yet it all belongs into one ecosystem yeah and so I was yeah I was thinking about that and and some of the some of the roles that um zoos have uh, and I'm just going to sorry flip the page here and read a few out so yeah. at, at a zoo you have a zoo director um and a zoo director you know shapes shapes the policies for how the zoo is to run and the operating standards and that sort of thing um and it's not just for it's for all parts of the operation of the zoo, anything from the physical maintenance of it mm. to, you know, the different, um, how the decision rights are actually uh, propagated across different curators and even the difference from what a vet can do versus what, you know, maybe a zookeeper can do in terms of care for the animals, um, protocols to trigger, you know, responsibilities between the two. Um, yeah. that, that's, that's the role of a zoo director. And... I actually, it got me thinking, I wonder how many CDOs actually do that, actually, mm. you know, from, from a holistic point of view, or do they, the CDOs focus on different sort of parts? You know, do they sort of bias towards data science or do they yeah. bias towards data engineering? So that, that was a sort of a question that it prompted. So maybe we need the concept of a data director. Yeah. Um, that works in a matrix stru structure with your CTO. Mm. Um, then, then the whole idea, and I don't think these roles exist, Brina. Yeah. A data curator. Yes. So we've sort of got all of these data users, you know, whether they be in BI or the data scientist or, or data analyst, whatever they might be. But we actually don't have someone like you do at a zoo that says, right, I'm the data curator for butterflies or I'm the data curator for finance. I think yeah. the language we tend to, it gets used a bit academically, is domain data stewards. Yes. But I'd struggle to count, you know, maybe on, on two hands how many domain data stewards there are in market. Yes. Uh, I think people sort of get voluntold to do those roles and they go, oh, what the hell do I need to do? But yeah. they, they actually are similar to, similar to a, a business owner for a piece, you know, for a, say, a suite of technology, like who's the business owner for Google Cloud or who's the business owner for the Microsoft Cloud, same concept. They become... The, the people that can take sort of those broader 
um, organizational protocols, standards, policies, and apply it down locally yeah. to their areas of data and be a, a focal point for the users of that data to work out, well, you know, is our data match fit for the intended use? Have we got the access right, rights yeah. tight? Uh, what's our data loss um, risks look like? Um, how, how do we um, ensure that we're improving our data? We have actually a continuous improvement program, et cetera. Yeah. So I think that's a concept that's missing. Because um, yeah. do, do you not find at the moment that some organisations do have them, but they're more probably geared towards having somebody focusing on some of the larger functions? So say, for example, you might have somebody just focusing on finance or somebody just focusing on sales and marketing or, um, or, or are you talking about a different role? Because I know that you do get some um, data experts that, you know, are, are responsible for a particular function and not on an enterprise level, but they are sort of embedded and focus on that business. Yeah, look, I think the, the individuals exist. I, I think the my view is the responsibilities are buried and unclear. Oh, yeah, and okay. also the decision rights aren't clean. Right. So um, it, it'd be a bit like going and people shop for answers or shop for a decision. So it'd be like in a zoo, um, you know, you go to your butterfly curator and you say, hey, I, you know, I think we should, you know, do a bit of an overhaul of the ex exhibit and, uh, you know, bring in some different species of plants or alter the temperatures or whatever else. Um, and then if they don't like the answer they get from the butterfly curator, they'll go and shop it around to someone else and maybe ask the reptile curator. Right, okay. And I think that that tends to go on a little bit in the larger yeah. organisations. It's, yes. it's not that the basics of decision rights over things um it isn't always followed yes yeah and, no, it, and exactly. it's not written down it's yeah. not published yeah so that's that's from what i've picked oh. up um and i think that's it from from what i saw from the um the cognopia report i think that's one of the pieces that are missing mm -hmm. which is um which you wouldn't have in other parts of the business like finance decisions mm -hmm. yeah um you know can can uh, someone have X amount of capex to invest in something that it goes through governance boards? It goes through, you know, right. it goes. There's toll gated processes to either unlock that money for that use or not. Yeah. Um, we don't have that necessarily in data, and this is what it, what happens. It, it actually puts pressure down on people who are data engineers and people who are in IT because they're magically meant to, you know, be able to see, you know, see see it all and make those decisions but when yeah. you do make those decisions they're in a, a hiding to nowhere because it may not be right in the context of how the business wants to use it yeah or, or in the priority list of, of um, other initiatives yeah so um, the, the poor IT folk get um, thrown under the bus sometimes yes yeah yeah and and yeah and, and, and so that so just to sort of finish off the little uh, story here, so you've got sort of your data engineers a bit like your, um, your vet, veterinarians um, or your zoologists. They're, they're the people that know how the data flows and they know where the risks are and the, the weaknesses. Um, and so they can really play a role in um, improving the ecosystem in which the, the data flows. Um, you've got your, um, your operations managers. They're like the SISO team. Yeah, they're about securing the perimeters, um, making sure that line doesn't get out through that gate. Yeah, if it's actually left open, there's you know double gating that goes on. And, and then finally, you might wonder, well, who are the zookeepers? Well, they're 
they're the people who use the data every day. They're yeah. your, your, your sort of your BI analysts, your data scientists, your data analysts, because guess what? They're getting, they're really familiar with of how it's used. They can spot issues and errors. But part of the problem that community has is who do they go to? Yeah. They don't have a curator to go to. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's um, so that's that's it there. And then really, um, yeah, the the last people, you know, you might wonder, well, who are the customers of the zoo? Yeah. Well, they're actually the people in the business with commercial targets on their head. Yeah. They've got to use, you know, use or um, observe the data or, you know, understand it to be able to make decisions to help grow the company, reduce risk, reduce costs. Yeah. Yeah. So to me, you know, in this analogy, they're the customers of the zoo. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Okay. Yeah. And it makes, it makes sense. I mean, I think when you put it so easily, even if you think about the lion escaping, um, you know, again, that sort of comes down to not having the right, you know, protocols, procedures in place, yeah. the right controls, um, or, or, or giving too much freedom. Yeah, or, or even or, or the poor lion, you know, feeling being malnourished and, and mm. you know, uh, the zookeeper's not alluding the veterinarian and that, yeah. that persists and persists and, yeah. Yeah, finally break out, yeah. So yeah. It's, it's about that, um, the nurturing and... And having people responsible for particular parts, um, which is really, yeah, which completely relates, doesn't it, to having... Yeah, yeah. Home. Now, look, I think the difference is zoos are zoos are usually a city attraction. They attract a yeah. lot of millions of, of visitors each year. So there's a lot of visibility on it. But if we applied the same visibility on the data estate in our businesses, would we practice and arrange ourselves the way we do? Mm. Yeah. Um, and, and I think in some way, um, part of part of that, you know, I mentioned about sort of scrapping that sort of, you know, the posturing versus the mm. operational reality of, I think that does sort of cause a little bit of burnout in the industry too. Mm. Um, and, and maybe why uh, people sort of switch jobs, great for your business, um, yeah. Rena, but um, yeah. yeah, there's certainly, I know um, of quite a few people that have um, entered exited re-entered the data industry just because they need a break from it's not the technical aspects of it, it's the it's the having to um you know deal with um yeah deal with scrapping and trying to sort of put together processes that work and, and meet i mean requirements in a business yeah absolutely so how do you think an organization i guess you know who perhaps have got some of that how, you know, how would an organization achieve a balance, um, you know, an interrelationship of these roles if they don't have it. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I keep coming back to KPIs, um, Rena, with this sort of thing. So, a lot of, from what I've observed, a lot of KPIs. If you look at data scientists KPIs, they might be, you know, functionally related about the number of models that have gone, been built, and then put into production. You look at a data engineer's one; it might be relating to something about how, you know, how many ingestion patterns have they built and how they've made, data, you know, the uptime of availability of data, all that sort of thing. But they're very functional and localised. Um, I'd love to, in the industry, see shared KPIs around um, not only capability but readiness to attack opportunity. Yeah. So, you know, if, if, if to meet, to sort of to meet some of the posturing, like 
how how ready are you to legitimately put in a um, you know a production level AI um, set of capability that makes decisions about customers' credit? Hmm. What's, yeah. your, what's your what's your readiness for that? And that that's something that you know every person in that data um, that, that plays a role in the data field has on their KPI list because yeah. then you're working towards a common mission. Common, yeah, common goal. And, and also you by equally putting that as a KPI, you're actually testing the appetite of the executive from a bottom-up perspective to say, are we really committed to this or are we just saying words? Yeah, yeah. And and then on the flip of that, how do you assess if it's working well? If you have something in place already, how do you assess if it's working? The way yeah, yeah. Well, one of the one of the things I, I learned at um, GE was um, was uh, we used to have this concept called Champion Challenger. Mm. So, champion a champion process is what you're doing today. You know, it's it's yeah, it's, yeah. it's, it's um, it hasn't you know it, it's it's the most resilient way you do business today. A challenger is like an innovation. It's saying yeah, yeah. you know what I think I can do better than this champion. And you put in, a, you know, you do an A-B type test, test on it yeah, using yeah. digital speak. Yeah. Um, and, again, it's having the discipline of going, well, what does success look like? How do we measure it in business terms, not necessarily in data terms? And committing to put that head-to-head. I, it's one, one of the difficulties I, I see at the moment is I think there's a lot of really smart um, data science and, and AI people putting together proof of concepts you know, we could do this if we deployed this model this way. Yeah. The, the, um, the, it's interesting, I'm seeing a barrier to actually putting that into action in a safe way and in a contained way. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and it's because um, two parts of that, one part is it's uh, political, you know, yeah. um, you've got political barriers, but also you've got technical barriers as well. You've got people's jobs that may fundamentally change if you do put in that uh, challenger option. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's, yeah, so it, it, again, I, I think that, that it sort of needs to be confronted. I think that needs to be a part of KPI. So I talk about, you know, if you've got those sort of company missions that can be um, grafted out of your, um, your annual report, and then you determine, well, what are the data dependencies on that? And do we need to go, you know, into, does that mean we are going full data automation on aspects of our operations? Yeah. Then that's the North Star. That, that's what you go for. And that's what you hold every, you know, if, if, you know, if we talk about the zoo, everyone plays a role in making that a reality. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and, and it's the interdependencies of those roles working well together to actually bring that to life. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think also um, having a culture where people have a voice and can bring ideas to the table, because I think unless people sort of bring up that there is a better way or things could be done differently, you just keep going and thinking if something's not, if something's working, why change it? I think it's if you if you foster an environment where people can make suggestions and and people are not so uh, don't take it so personally that their idea is no longer the best one. I think that's a great culture to have as well. Um, I know one of my clients that I've recruited for recently, they said for us, we discuss ideas, you know, in the corridor. And, you know, if your idea is better than the one I discussed this morning, we'll run with that. And that's the culture that they have. It's 
it's not about you know people taking it personally yeah yeah i think that's a really good um call out there was another um person i um who i listened to and he talked about being additive yeah so 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 not saying an idea is rena's idea or cam's idea it's saying rena's seeded an idea i've maybe added a a a variant on it Mm -hmm. and then someone else again has put a variant on that and and together it's a um, a consolidation of three people's um, inputs. Absolutely. And I think if, if you reach the common goal together, where it started and who ended that idea doesn't matter. I think that, yeah, I think no. sort of working in that collaborative environment where you all respect that you've all got, um, you know, you can all make a contribution. Um, yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. And, I, and I think, um, yeah, and, and, and in a similar way, the, the power of the people who work with the data every day, I, sometimes I don't think they um, know how much influence they could potentially have. If yeah. they're noticing something is wrong and they're staying up late and patching data together or correcting it, they could they could keep doing that for the whole year. Yes. Or yeah. they actually might give some insight to engineers, to people, um, you know, even the CDO to say, you know what, we've, we've actually got a problem across our ecosystem. Yes. Um, and if it wasn't for these SMEs doing the patching work, um, we'd be in a bit of trouble. So we're actually, so ha- having, you know, I think maturity is a useful measure. I don't think it's the only one, but having um, maybe a sub KPI around maturity and, and the number of times you've got, um, you know, data users calling out issues and, you know, it's almost you want a, a positive measure is how many data quality issues have you got in your register? Yeah. And you want a big number. You don't yeah. want a small number because it means yeah. you've got too many blind spots. Correct. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and say, so, you know, you might have, I don't know, 2,000. And then from there, okay, then it's about how we're reducing those and um, taking a risk management approach. Yeah. What's the cost of reducing it? What's the cost of keeping that as an issue? And you actually, you, yeah, you, you apply the business's risk management um, framework to it. Yeah, absolutely. But also, um, I think the positive of that is when you do identify that there are um, a high number of um, issues with risk or quality, that shows that you're evolving because things do evolve evolve over time. And if you don't, like you said, the blind spots and the gaps just get bigger and bigger um, because you're ignoring them. Whereas, you know, there are companies out there doing things um you know in real time they're innovative they're you know they they're current they keep up to date and you do just get left behind um so you then end up with an environment that isn't you know a great environment to come into especially like you said you know if people go into companies and then they they walk in and the ex they have one expectation but they walk in and it's completely different um so I think you have to look at it as a positive and we're going through a similar exercise at the moment where we're just identifying what things can we do differently because and I relate this back to what you said um can because you talk about making sure people have defined roles and become those kind of experts um and when myself and Zoe started the business we were doing everything we had to you know because it was just the two of us and then as we've grown and there's always this catch-22 of you need to kind of be able to create value before you add people but you can't create value if you don't have the people so um you know and as we've grown the team we've all kind of found or ensured that everyone brings something different to complement um and that's just made us become more 
you know, be, uh, given us the ability to fine tune our skills and focus on what we're really good at. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, I think I think you're spot on there because you tried to do when I know what I was sort of trying to run all the operational side of the business as well as recruiting. I wasn't doing things half as well on the operational side as what our operations lead can do now, because that's that's yeah. her kind of expertise. Um, and some of the stuff that she she's bringing up, we've thought about doing, but just never had the capacity to. Um, yeah. Yeah. And things like that. So I think uh, I, I think, you know, having really clear, defined roles and responsibilities um, and then having people own that definitely um, creates, you know, a much stronger sort of collaborative team, really. Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So I think, um, yeah, so I think the, in conclusion, sometimes studying, you know, related or not or sometimes unrelated things. Yeah. And understanding how. You know, if you take the concept of an asset, how are they? How is it managed? What sort of roles do they have to ensure? Like, it could be a fleet of um, jet planes. Yeah. It, you know, I just pick zoos as an example, but yeah. I think that's um, that's where we can get a little bit lateral with our own education. Yeah. Um, learning, learning from other fields, um, seeing, seeing if there's parallels we could apply in our own uh, ways of working in the data industry. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and then, and then, thirdly, you know, making it relatable to others, yeah, in your audience, yeah, yeah. No, definitely, definitely. Can you share? Um, I, I don't know if you if you have got an example, Cameron, but can you share maybe where um you might have experienced this in your career and what was your approach to that? Yeah, well, um, I, I mentioned sort of AGL before, mm. and um, yeah, yeah, the McKinsey review, and and um, yeah, needing to sort of. Um, get them get the maturity up fairly fast um, yeah. to meet AGL's um, sort of broader ambitions around data and digitization. So one of the concepts I did implement um, as part of my data governance remit was ask each general manager to assign me a domain data owner or a domain or a, well, a owner slash steward. Um, and they were certainly a, a senior manager in the function sure. um, and they knew and they knew about how the function operates and its, its broadest sort of contribution to the business and also knew the data reasonably well. They didn't need to be a, an absolute SME in the data, um, but they needed to have access to SMEs. Yeah. Um, and through there, I, um, one of the first things I did in setting up, I call it the coalition of the willing, but the, you know, that sort of data, I set up a data um, stewardship council with yeah. those individuals. And I signed them decision rights. I said, we're going to publish this on the intranet. And the decision rights where they were going to help shape um, policies and standards around how data is managed in the organisation as a whole. Um, the, for their own domain, they're going to decide what data is the best source of truth. And we're going to put that in a catalogue and say, this is the bounds of what, what's acceptable data in this place. Anything else, spreadsheets or whatever else, that can that's ungoverned. Yeah. You stamp it ungoverned. Um, classifying the data, who has access to it even what quality rules are acceptable, where, you know, quality uplift, you know, what, what's acceptable now, where are the gaps, where do we sponsor it? So I, I actually gave them decision rights and through that they've, many of them said to me, for the first time I felt as though I had some power. I, I, I've no longer beating my head against a brick wall, yeah. especially publishing those, those on the internet. Um, that made a difference. And yeah. um, then it was a matter of, you know, doing videos and, not podcast, but little yeah. little snippets of videos of saying this is how we put data governance in action and promoting that around the business and promoting them. 
for the great work either they were doing or that we felt uplift. Yeah. So I think that was my own way of um, bringing in this sort of concept of a data curator or, or if we talk about Zeus, the zoo curator. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, whenever I would have a, a data user sort of ring me up and, and, so, and wanted to chew me ear off about problems and things like that, which you often get in data governance, then it was great. I could point them towards the you know, respective um, domain data steward. And yeah. say, right, well, here's, here's the person that can actually make the decision for you. I have no decision rights in this. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. That's democratising the decision making. Yeah, yeah. But also, um, I think, you know, the great thing there is where you've, you've not only held people accountable for taking ownership of that, but you've made them want to be part of that and see the value, um, but be really involved in having an impact. I think that's probably the difference um, with that approach is you've really yeah. enabled them to have a huge impact in the larger you know, sort of goal that you've uh, been wanting to achieve. So, no, thank you for sharing that. That's all right. Yeah, part, actually, part of the thing, uh, Rena, was giving them the feeling they have the power, they have decision yeah. rights. You know, yeah. you know what I mean? Uh, yeah. No different in your in your business to yeah. say, you know, when, when you're deferring decisions to other members of your team, mm. to say, you know what, I, I'm comfortable that you know what you're doing and I'll let you make the decision. Yeah. Um, that That for them was huge. Yeah, I was in a, in a business like often the default is I better escalate to my manager, correct? Up and it gets to a GM, and the GM goes, "Oh, well, I don't know enough about the detail," and then it, it, there's no decision made. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. But, but so that senior manager layer um, in there was very helpful to 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 build up, and, and a big reason why we're able to get to that maturity so quickly. Yeah, yeah, and and you know making them. Um, having that trust that they are the, they are the best people to make that decision, I think, uh, is, is really powerful. So, yeah, amazing. Thank you for that. That's um, right. And um, I guess sort of, you know, wrapping up, uh, you know, a few questions that, that, that I'm always curious about, you know, I, I'm hearing lots of different things and we know that the world has changed a lot over the last 18 months. You know, a lot, you know, I talked to some data professionals and they say there's been a, a big shift in how data is now viewed since COVID. What do you think and what have you experienced over the last 18 months? Yeah, um, I think certainly, um, you know, I was talking to someone earlier today about QR codes. Mm. And um, imagine <laughs> two or three years ago, if we said, hey, you know, everywhere you go, you need to scan your phone against a QR code mm -hmm. and that gets recorded and the government sort of have access to that. And there would have been outrage. Yeah. But hey, walking around Melbourne now, that is normal. That's expected to be a good citizen, a good compliant citizen in Melbourne. You do that. Um, you don't think about where that data, you don't necessarily think about where that data goes, who's got rights of use, etc. And and the example I spoke to someone this morning with actually no one in the data industry, just an everyday yeah. person, I said, Oh, hey, every time you go to McDonald's, would you like your health insurer to know that? So they can adjust their premium. You do dynamic pricing around their premiums, or every time you go to the gym, wow. would you give them that? Do you, do you think that's appropriate? Is that ethical? And they go, I have no idea, and I haven't thought about it like that. So I think one one trend is around as we go into data automation and AI, and we're collecting more and more, we're leaving this you know increasing digital footprint. What are the rights of citizens in this? What where is that line? 
and, and how, how can individuals exercise their rights around extended data use and, and yeah. who accesses it and for what. So I think that's a whole marketplace that just needs to open up. And then secondly, I think on the on a technical level, level the, you know, the, the, the big three in the cloud space, you know, the Microsoft, yeah. Google, Amazon, they've come up. I mentioned earlier, you know, early in my career, I had to be a, a pretty gun SQL coder. Yeah. Now you don't. You, yeah. Everything's modulized, everything's prepackaged. Um and those cloud platforms have actually made data jobs less specialised. They're commoditized. Yeah. So I'm seeing a bit of a shift from maybe things that are a, little, that are a bit more commoditized on a technical front, but this whole sort of concept of, you know, where are the value pools, that sort of capital venturist type um, exploring of opportunities and what could data be pushed for. Yeah. Also, but also being tethered a bit by what's ethical and what's legal. Yeah. And I it, think that's where the opportunity is. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I was listening to a podcast probably a few weeks ago. Um, somebody in my network actually shared it. It's a guy called Mo Gawad. I'm not sure if you know him. Uh, Mo Gaudad. He's the Google X, I think, CEO or of Google X. And he's got a book called Scary Smart. You're nodding. Do, do you know that book? <laughs> oh, I've heard of the book, yeah. I've heard um, of the book Scary Smart, yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, I was the podcast I was listening to him was more around how to find happiness, I think. And um, he talks <laughs> about he talks about this book. Um, and it's scary. Like I I actually want to read it, but it talks about how um how much the AI machine learning and how scary it's growing to the point where we no longer will be making decisions for ourselves because of how much data of ours is shared and how much and how quickly obviously you know I, I don't know what the numbers are around how, how how quickly it can multiply but certainly a lot a lot quicker than the human brain can anyway in terms of intelligence but um yeah they're saying if, if we don't control how this data has been used and where and at what scale and speed, um, we're going to become a world where we won't have control over making any decisions because everything, every decision will be made for us. And a lot of things already are, obviously. They're influenced by everything we see online and TV and the media. Yeah. And But, you know, he's uh, he, this book that he writes is, um, that, that he's wrote apparently is quite interesting. So, you know. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I heard someone else say the if the environment was a is a is a byproduct of the industrial revolution yeah it, human ethics will be very much a byproduct of our digital and data revolution right and and, and so you know we, i think we can applying that sort of broader concept you know i'm sure when the industrial revolution started yeah. environmental controls were probably scarcely practiced yeah that's maybe why we're here where we are now yes um, and, and they improved over time um, and I think what you're alluding to there is yes, this could be a run absolute runaway train for the for the rights of humans. And um, you know, I know earlier offline we were talking about you know um, legal firms, like, yeah. you know, large legal consultancy firms now pushing into this space. Yes, the, the concept of data ethics. Uh, you know, companies saying we hey we need a data ethics policy or, or yeah. some sort of principles to help guide our decisions. So it is it is becoming gradually more mainstream. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
it's interesting and scary at the same time, I think. Um, and that leads me into, I guess, what, what do you think the future of the industry looks like to you? Um, where, where do you think it's heading from a data and business intelligence point of view? Yeah, I think, um, as, as I mentioned earlier, um, I'm seeing platforms a lot more commoditized. Um, maybe the, the technical um, skills to actually navigate those platforms aren't maybe as steep as what they were in, in, in the past. Yeah. Um, and, and therefore, that opens up other areas of, of um, opportunity to sort of assess, well, how mature are you across an ecosystem and practice of data to um, benefit, from, you know, realise data automation on scale or AI at scale? Yeah. And then the second part of it is very much around the governance, the risk management of because let's face it, that becomes a industrialised operational process. Yes. And therefore that needs executive uh, level controls and reviews and it needs to be part of, a, a you know, your, the, the re operational risk management um, components of a business. So I sort of see um, that there'll be more roles in that space and, and maybe over time uh, a little less in some of the functional components because yeah. it is so modular and, and commoditized and a lot easier to sort of deploy um, versus writing reams and reams of code as you had yes. needed to in the past. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. And I guess lastly for our listeners, um, how do you stay up to date? Have you got any, um, you know, any um, sort of recommendations or advice around how you stay up to date with what's going on because it's so it's always changing and evolving. yeah it is it is changing um yeah look I, I look at a lot of um linkedin posts so i'm curious about what people post and um and why so i, I don't try and put pressure on myself of having to read everything yeah I, I sort of I, I rely on just following a few people and looking at what they feed through and then thinking about it mm -hmm. um I like to read, um, there's a few reports, you know, put out by futurists to say, well, what does the next 10 years or 20 years look like? What are sort of the mega trends coming through? And I like to look at that and then think backwards to go, well, how does that apply to the industry I operate in? Or how would the industry I operate, I operate in respond to, to those uh, mega trends? Yeah. Um, and then the other part of the reading I do is, as, as this topic uh, sort of shows, is I study other things that you know aren't related to data yeah great and and probably the the lead topic i go with is how are assets managed how are they valued how how are they looked after and um as i said, as I said earlier whether it's jet planes zoos um, car fleets trucks buildings you know there there's a, there's a lot of learning we could grab from yeah those industries um and and practices that we could uh, implement so yeah, a um, little little bit lateral like that. Um, yeah, but I don't have a set list or anything. Oh yeah, no, that's brilliant. Well, thank you so much, Carmen. It's actually been really really enjoyable, and I think um, there'll definitely be things that you know people will take away from this, and just for it to be understood on a ground level, I think you know the way you sort of explained it. So thank you so much for taking the time. I really really enjoyed uh, you know recording the episode. Um, now, if any of the viewers wanted to reach out to you, are you happy for them to connect with you on LinkedIn and reach out to you directly? Yeah, of course. Yeah, LinkedIn's fantastic. Yeah. Excellent. Well, thank you so much. Thanks, Rena. Thanks for having me. Thank you.